Welcome to Being Frank. This is chapter 14. The thief is sitting in church. Let's begin, shall we? Hazel, the man at the garage is having a heart attack. Frank suddenly called out one afternoon when he was taking a rest, which meant praying and speaking in tongues. I didn't hear the telephone ring, I replied. It didn't, Frank said. Then how could you know that? I asked in wonder. Frank thought it was more profitable to ask the Lord than to discuss it with me. He went back to praying. Lord, why are you showing me this? In answer, he received a deep impression that God would show him for his glory things out of the past, in the present and the future, which he could not know naturally. Two days later, we drove to the service station to buy some petrol. A stranger served us. Where's Jim? Frank asked. He had a heart attack a couple of days ago and ended up in the hospital. So what Frank had seen was right. Ray Bloomsfield's teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit created Frank's hunger for them to operate in his own ministry. But when he was still a Salvation Army officer, he'd read Echoes and Memories, written by Bramwell Booth, the Army's second general. The book tells of the supernatural acts of God in the early day meetings of the Salvation Army. This ranged from levitations through the gift of tongues to healing by the power of God and prostrations. William Booth himself had written about the value of these gifts in an article printed in Warcry dated 1914. There is not a word in this Bible which proves we may not have them, these spiritual gifts, at the present time, and there is nothing in experience to show they would not be as useful today as in any period of the church's history, he wrote. Far be it for me to say one word that would stay the longing of any heart for the extraordinary gifts mentioned. I believe in their necessity. By all means, let us have the perfection of the divine method of working that in this infidel world should be made to see all of God that is possible in order that it may believe. That's what I want, Frank declared. Lord, grant your servant the ability to use the gifts as you intended them to be used. God answered with the unexpected image of the man who sold us our petrol. Frank describes the word of knowledge this way. I see a picture in my mind. Sometimes it's like seeing the face of someone you know very well. Other times it's simply a deep sense of knowing something. Fearful at first that he could be wrong when he was giving a word of knowledge, he was somewhat hindered. Then he determined he would trust God and let his fears go. My first impression has always been the right one, he says. Sometimes the revelation has been too startling. Like the last time he saw the thief sitting in church. There had been thefts of sound equipment, musical instruments, expensive Bibles from the bookshop, and wallets from the office. The thieves were so quick and shrewd that we had not been able to catch them. Frank was taking a group to Seoul, Korea, for a church growth seminar when he received a teleex at Hong Kong, saying that the church had again been robbed of its electrical equipment. As Frank prayed on Sunday morning before the group joined him for a communion service, he put a question to the Lord. Lord, who is robbing the church? Show me! so that I can deal with the problem. Frank saw clearly in his mind a young blonde-haired man sitting in the auditorium. Lord, why are you showing me this? Frank asked again. Clearly, the Lord made him know that this was the young man masterminding and committing the robberies. Frank decided to share what they had seen with his travelling companions when they met in his room. I want you to know God has shown me by a word of knowledge who robs the church, he described what he had seen. That night, Frank phoned through to the church service in Sydney, as he usually did when on an overseas trip. Brian was leading. Dad, we have a new chorus we want to sing to you, he said when the call came through. 
Not now, Brian. I have a word of knowledge for the church. God has shown me who is stealing our equipment. The people fell silent, and the atmosphere was charged with tension. Brian, he has a young man with blonde shoulder-length hair sitting at the back of the auditorium on your right. Every blonde-haired man, no matter where he was sitting, fell under the gaze of the congregation. One in particular gradually slipped lower in his seat. If that young man will stay behind after service, Brian will help him find peace with God. Frank continued. No one stayed. A few weeks later, the safes went missing on a holiday weekend. Sue, Frank's secretary, decided to work on the Monday, although it was a public holiday. Legend. She discovered a gaping hole in the front door with a million pieces of glass spread across the carpet. Frank grumbled as he answered the now... That doesn't make sense. The now that with... Frank grumbled as he answered the phone, now that with the police record, his confession could mean a lengthy jail sentence. Perhaps nine years. But he did come. Bible under his arm. His face shining. Pastor, this thing is haunting me. I've been seeking God all night, and I believe I have found him. Frank made him a cup of coffee. For an hour they talked. Ralph made a full confessional of all the evil things he'd done. You can ring the head of the breaking squad now. I'm ready to give myself up. The police reaction surprised Frank. Reverend, you shouldn't be alone with that man. He's dangerous. We'll be there in three minutes. They found Ralph drinking a second cup of coffee and talking quietly to Frank. He made a full confession of the crime against the church and a few others they knew nothing about. Ralph, we will have to take you in, they said, almost apologetically. I know. I'm ready. Ralph told them as he stood up. As they walked out to the waiting police car, Frank wondered about the blonde-haired fellow. Ten days after Ralph's arrest, he turned up, confessing to a pastor that he was the instigator of the robbery. Had he listened to God when God spoke through the word of knowledge that Sunday night, he could have saved himself and his friend nine months in jail. This was only one of the many times when God works supernaturally through the word of knowledge. Sometimes the gift has been startling in its detail, as God has revealed things Frank could not possibly know any other way. This leaves no doubt who God wants to bless. There's a woman here tonight with a particular problem. I know what it is, but I cannot tell you over the microphone, Frank said in the camp meeting. God has shown me that you have in your purse a half-eaten roll of lifesavers, an open letter from your daughter in Melbourne, a white handkerchief, a $10 note. If you come to me after the meeting, I will tell you what to do about your problem. With the word of knowledge, God had given a word of wisdom. One woman with those specific items in her purse and no others came to Frank for counsel. Some have strange ideas about words of knowledge. One woman complained that no one from the church had visited her husband when he was in the hospital. Did you tell anyone he was in the hospital? Frank asked. No, I expected you would have had a word of knowledge about it. Really? Then you were wrong. God doesn't do what you can do yourself. Prophecy is misused as well when it becomes directional. Over the years, there have always been someone ready to say that the Lord has shown them that Frank should go to a certain place or perform a certain task. That's strange. I was talking to God this morning and he didn't tell me. I wonder why he should tell you. He replies, it was through prophecy that we lost a family to our church. When they visited another church, the pastor prophesied over them. In all the time we attended Christian Life Center, 
We didn't have one prophecy. They really don't move in the spirit. Why disillusion them by telling them that the particular church prophesies to anyone who attends for the first time? Prophesizing them in, they call it. That isn't what a prophecy is for, is it? I asked Frank. Well, it really isn't our concern, he told me. He was non-committal as usual, refusing to criticize a brother. Tongues are frowned on by certain critics of Pentecostal churches, yet it was through a message in tongues that my sister and brother-in-law found Jesus. It was Ted's first visit to our church. Frank was out of town and I was nervous in case there was a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, which would upset him. I was about to breathe freely as the meeting neared its end. Suddenly, a young woman burst forth in a tongues message, which was interpreted by an older man. Why did those two have to do this tonight? I groaned within myself. Ted will be put off forever. Frank never entertained such fears. He figured God knew what he was about. As soon as Ted arrived home, he told my sister Joyce about the strange language he had heard in the Frank church. Joyce searched for a Bible hidden on top of the wardrobe, blew the dust off it, and let it fall open. It just happened to open at Acts 2, 4. She read, And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's it. That's what they were doing, Joyce cried excitedly. I must tell Ted. For the first time since their marriage, they decided to go to church for reasons other than business. Doesn't the Bible say in 1 Corinthians 14:22 that tongues were a sign to the unbeliever? That experience helped me agree with Frank? We didn't worry, for God does know best. There was also a sign at a wedding when Frank spoke in tongues and with interpretation during the last service. At the reception, the bridegroom's father asked Frank where he had learned the Basque language. I haven't learned the Basque language, Frank assured him. But you spoke perfect Basque in the service and translated it into perfect English. That was God speaking through one of the gifts he has given to the church. God is still speaking to men today if they will only listen, Frank explained. Here was such an opportunity to tell the man about God. Such experiences could only be the Spirit of God using an earthly vessel. Frank explained as wedding guests also asked questions about the phenomena. Other events have proved the gifts as relevant today as when Paul recorded them. In the realm of spirit, some supernatural gift is needed to help people. Frank explained when I questioned him about deliverance. Remember the old man who sat at the back of the church in Lower Hut? When I asked him, had he ever committed his life to Christ? He told me he wanted to. Something always stopped him. I remember. God showed you he had a spirit of unbelief controlling his actions. After you ordered the spirit to leave in the name of Jesus, the old man told you he could give his life to Jesus. Then he did. Occasionally, someone has given all the appearance of being a committed Christian with the Holy Spirit in control, yet they behaved in a questionable way. What Christian would interrupt an altar call with religious jargon when the preacher was praying for people? But one woman did. Frank received a religious spirit, which was certainly not the Holy Spirit. One freed in the name of Jesus, she sat quietly through the rest of the service. How can you know which spirit operates in a person's life? I asked him. It's the same inner awareness that I have with the other gifts. The Holy Spirit makes me to know what spirit is operating, whether it is man's spirit, an evil spirit, or the Holy Spirit. Discerning of spirits, the Bible calls it in 1 Corinthians 12, he told me. In some other cultures, Frank finds demon possession common. In a letter he sent from Sri Lanka, he told of a beautifully dressed young woman who sat on the front seat in every meeting of the crusade. One night when I was preaching, she began to make strange body movements. 
I didn't want any interruption, so I bound the spirit in the name of Jesus, he wrote. She came on the altar call. When I mentioned the name of Jesus, she screamed and her neck swelled like a balloon. She leaned over, backwards, so far her head literally touched the floor. This has to be something supernatural. I began the name, the demons, strange names I had not heard before. The local pastor told me they were the names of gods which abound in Sri Lanka. When I had cast out the last one, the girl became normal. The letter concluded. Frank prayed that the Holy Spirit would occupy the place of demon spirits so that there was no room for them to return as long as she did not open her life to them again by neglecting her relationship with God. It cannot be said that the ministry is dull. Frank was reaching an important point in his message when a man began to utter such blasphemies that ladies and visitors in the church were embarrassed. Deacons, please take this man out and minister to him, Frank ordered. The man fought all the way down the aisle. Turning the congregation, Frank explained that the man was obviously demon-possessed. I will have to teach the demons to cast out the deacons, he announced. The congregation exploded in laughter. Don't you mean teach the deacons to cast out the demons, his assistant pastor asked? Of course. Frank was never one to admit embarrassment. Well, it's broken the tension, he told me later. Nor was there any embarrassment the night he rushed into the hospital ward to pray for Audrey Penny. She and her husband, Des, were Australians, ministering in evangelism in New Zealand. Des was in Adelaide, South Australia, for a series of meetings when Audrey was taken seriously ill. Their 14-year-old son phoned. Pastor, Pastor Houston, Mum is sick. Will you come and pray for her? We discovered that Audrey had collapsed but refused to go to the hospital. We could see she was desperately ill. Audrey, you can't stay here. We'll arrange for some of our people to care for the other four children, and you and the two little ones can stay with us. She told us she was hemorrhaging, but she still wouldn't see a doctor. By the next morning, I knew she was at danger point. Frank had gone out by the time she collapsed. I yelled at the two elders who were working out in the yard. Go in and pray for Audrey while I phone the doctor. She needs help urgently. The doctor called the ambulance. I was relieved when she was in expert care. The shrill tones of the telephone woke us up at 2am the next morning. This is a hospital. Are you Mrs. Penny's next of kin? We have accepted responsibility for her in her husband's absence. Then you better come straight away. She is in critical condition. Frank threw on his clothes, telling me to phone our praying people as he did so. Get all who you can to come to the church straight away for prayer. Once I had done that, I prayed as well. At the hospital, Frank charged straight up to Audrey's bed, ignoring the doctor and nurses working frantically to save her life. Frank felt a burst of faith as he placed his hands on her head, commanding life to replace death in this woman. Audrey opened her eyes and smiled wanly. As he walked out of the door of the ward with the sisters, she told him that when she phoned us, they had been unable to get any pulse or blood pressure. Frank joined the others in church. Two hours later, the burden was replaced by a sense of incredible peace and assurance that we had received our answer. Audrey would recover. That was why it was a shock when the hospital rang the next morning to say that Audrey must undergo surgery. We don't know if she is strong enough to stand it, the nurse said. Fear leapt into my heart. Frank had gone to church and I was alone. I would not accept this. God had given us all the assurance Audrey would live. Faith triumphed. Audrey did live. We thank God for his gifts of extraordinary faith. The gifts are not tools to be used for the benefit of the human race, not toys to be played with at the whim of a carnal Christian. Do you think carnality has been a reason for the gifts dying in the church? Haven't pastors been afraid that someone might abuse the gifts by using them for their own ends? I really wanted to know. Maybe. But should we be afraid to handle such situations? Frank replied. 
Come to think of it, I have heard Frank tell the congregation that a tongues message a person gave was from their own spirit and not for everybody. I have also heard him say following an interpretation, now here is the correct interpretation. Afterwards, he will take a person aside to explain where he believed they were wrong. This gives a congregation a sense of security because spiritual gifts have been one factor which have contributed to the fruitfulness of Frank's ministry. He desires to teach his own young men to move in that realm. Don't be afraid to use the gifts, he tells them. There are many factors which contribute to church growth in the Acts of the Apostles' growth was frequently due to the fact that the miraculous caught the attention of vast numbers of people. This is in turn gave them an open ear to hear the gospel, to which they responded, Let us believe God to see the miraculous in our meetings, that we may catch the attention of the masses. If Frank has any fear, it is that the church will again lose the use of these valuable God-given tools. Thank you for listening. This has been Being Frank, Chapter 14. The Thief Sitting in the Church. I've been Samuel Oborn reading for you. Thank you so much.